Well, let me tell you, Kathy, I really appreciate this donut that you got for me uh, for for Father's Day very much. I've I've worked through half of it, but let me tell you, you don't have very many privileges as, as a pastor, but one of them that I'm taking on Father's Day is to take a big old bite out of this. Mm. Mm. She gave me that, and I had the other disposable cup of coffee. I thought to myself, I need a bigger... No, you may not hold that donut for me during the message. Thank you very much. <laughs> There's others. Get your own. Ah. Well, we are continuing on through in the book of Exodus as we are looking at Moses and his mountaintop experience. On top of Mount Sinai, hearing instructions from God on how he is to be worshipped by the nation of Israel. Two weeks ago, we took a look at the tabernacle and saw how it was indeed designed with a purpose. How God was specific and intentional in what he wanted to be done and how every piece of those six pieces of furniture, only six, were to be made, what, where they were to be, what they were to be used for. The altar the bronze basin, the lampstand, the table of the presence, the altar of incense, and the ark, or using the more practical translation, the box, with a mercy seat on top, which held a testimony, and where God would meet with Moses in the Holy of Holies. But the place was not the only thing that was very specifically designed by God. We also see that God was very specific in what he wanted to be done in preparation for the priests who would be serving there. In Exodus chapter 28, verses 1 through 2, God tells Moses, Have your brother Aaron with his sons come to you from the Israelites to serve me as priests. Aaron, his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar, I practice those names, you should be very impressed. Make holy garments for your brother Aaron for glory and beauty. The priests had a very important function. And God wanted it to be seen in how they were to be serving. In everything from how they were introduced to the order of priests to what they would be wearing when they were serving in the role. And it might seem like a minor detail, but it's important for us to to see this and to understand because there are hints of significance for your life and mine as well. First, we'll take a look in Exodus 29, where we see that God appointed for the priest a consecration ceremony before they were even to serve a single day. They had to go through a specific process of what they needed to do to be ready to serve. First, they were to come to Moses fully unclothed, not protected at all. What they would, be, what they would do then was Moses was commanded to take them and to wash them with water. 
to symbolically wash away their impurities, their dirt that was covering over them. And once he had done that, then he would clothe them in the clothing of the priests to fully clothe them until they were clothed in the full garb, which we will look at soon. And then he would pour oil over them, anoint them. And this anointing was a symbol of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, which would enable them to be able to carry out the work that they were to be doing. In Israel, there were three roles for which a person could be anointed, for which the Spirit would empower someone to do their work. And that was the work of the prophet, who would speak for God to the people, the king, who would rule the people for God and the priest who would act as an intermediary who would go to God on behalf of the people. Once they were washed and clothed and anointed, then there would be a number of sacrifices that would take place. First, there would be a bull that would be killed as a sin offering. This sacrifice would communicate that the priests were not perfect. They had sin in their lives. They were people just like the people that they were serving. Please remember that about me, by the way. Please remember, don't hold people who are serving for God to up on a pedestal where you expect absolute perfection. Every person who ministers has struggles and temptation and yes even sin in our lives and we work to make sure that we don't and to be the role models that we can to display Christ to you but we too struggle and we too needed that sin offering just like everyone else after that sin offering was made then there would be the burnt offering and as we talked about a couple of weeks ago the burnt offering is different because it doesn't try to pay for sins that you have done but the burnt offering communicates dedication and surrender to God and this is what the priest would be doing to say with this offering I communicate I am telling you God and the people who see that I am dedicating myself to the work of God as a priest and after that had been done a second ram would be killed and this would be a presentation offering to say having my my sins having been atoned and covered my life having been dedicated to the work of God now I am presented I am presenting myself as priest, as one who is ready to do the Lord's work. And then they would sit out in the entrance of the temple, not hidden away in some corner, but on public display for everyone who is coming to worship God would see that this person eating the sacrifice which only the priests were allowed to eat that they were now being instituted as priests. And this would not be done for one day. This would be done over a period of seven days of preparation for the priests. We were talking about the clothing before. I don't know, it might have shocked you that I actually used the word naked when I said that that was how the priest came to Moses. But they, that reason for that is because every bit of the clothing that the priest would wear was very specifically described. It would start with the undergarments, the underwear. I bet you never thought that we would actually talk about underwear in a sermon. 
But hey, it's in the Bible. Every single piece of what the priest would wear would be specifically made, would be separate, would only be worn when they were carrying out the function of a priest because it was unique. Over that would be the tunic, the white that you see on bottom and the sleeves that would cover over them. And over that would be a blue robe which would cover them. And then over that would be the ephod which would probably be, it's, it's multicolored mixture of different kinds of fabrics. You wonder, by the way, why sometimes in the Bible they say don't mix different kinds of fabrics together for the clothes that you wear. That was only for the priests to do. To set them apart and show that they were doing a specific work for God. And this ephod would have two stones onyx stones, one on either shoulder, onto which were inscribed the names of Israel. At least partly, I believe, although it's not stated in Exodus, so that when the priests would look to the right or to the left, they would see the names of the people they were serving and it would continually be on their minds why they are doing what they're doing. It's not for themselves, it is for the people that they are serving. And then over this would be a breastplate, Nine inch by nine inch square with 12 different gems on there. Each of which would represent one of the tribes of Israel. The reason it's over the heart is because today in our American mindset, we think of the mind as the place where decisions are made, right? But back then, they believed that it was decisions were made with the heart. The heart was the core of your being the core of who you were. And when you made a decision, it was not just thinking, it came as an expression of who you were. And covered over that was the preciousness of the people of God communicated through this. And then on top of that, their head, they would wear the turban and a gold plate on which was said, holy to the Lord. Not so that the priest could see it. You can't look at your forehead but so that any time someone would walk up to them, they would see that this was a man who was holy, separated, consecrated to the Lord. And then they would be prepared for the work of God in the temple. And as they did this, These are all different instructions which might seem kind of minute and we're skipping over a lot of it because there is a whole bunch of repetition going on in here. But God promised them, as you do this, as you create the tabernacle and as you create the priesthood, as you do everything that I command, He said in Exodus chapter 29, verses 43 and 44, says, I will meet with the Israelites there at the temple of meeting and at that place will be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. All of this stuff that they were doing, the ceremony 
to, to prepare them for that, the clothing that they would wear, all of it was to communicate this one word, the fact that the priests were consecrated to God. They were a consecrated people. That's a $5 word there, isn't it? What does it mean to be consecrated? There are other words that you might have heard, such as sacred or holy. These are other words that are used. They all revolve around the same idea. But all of these words are kind of churchy, religious words. You never feel like you would talk about something being consecrated or sacred or holy when you're standing outside of a church, right? I I say the word sacred and I picture myself in a cathedral with stained glass buildings and uh, and swaying. uh, I picture something like that. But I wouldn't be talking about something being sacred, say, at a soccer game, right? What could possibly be sacred at a soccer game? But really the word consecrated, sacred, holy is a very practical word. It just needs to be set apart or dedicated to someone or something. Let me uh, try to communicate what it means to be dedicated to something. For instance, when I was a kid, I played soccer. And I had these shoes with cleats on the bottom. These shoes would be worn for soccer, but they would not be worn at any other time. I wouldn't wear my cleats to church. I wouldn't wear them when walking around the street. My mom certainly would not let me wear them in the house. Instead, I would drive to my practice or my game in my normal shoes. I would put on my soccer shoes. I would play my game of soccer, and when I was done, I would take off my soccer shoes, put on my normal shoes, I would only use them for that one purpose, for soccer. They were separated for playing soccer. They were consecrated to soccer. But something can be also consecrated, not just to a thing, but to a person. Most of you who are here know exactly what I'm talking about. When I ask you the simple question, where do you sit when you come to church? How many of you have a seat that is your seat? And it has been your seat. And everyone knows that seat is your seat. And maybe a visitor who hasn't been here coming very long can be excused, but you might use, you walk into church, you walk into the sanctuary, and if you see someone sitting in your seat, even if you don't actually do it, you really want to walk up to a person and say, excuse me, don't you know that that's my seat? And even if you don't say anything, you almost certainly are going to come next week, maybe five, ten minutes earlier, just in hopes of putting your Bible or your purse or your jacket or something in that seat so everyone knows that is my seat. That seat is consecrated to me. Right? We know that. The word consecrated is actually a very practical thing. And the priests were made to be consecrated to the work of God. And everything from the ceremony to the clothing was meant to communicate that. They were to be wearing things that no one else wore. So that everyone who looked at them would say, that is a person who goes to God on my behalf. 
Someone else is called a priest in the New Testament. And his name is Jesus. Don't, don't look at the slide that I just skipped into and out of. I'll come there. His name is Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Jesus had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. He couldn't just stay up in heaven on the throne and be the priest. He had to be like us. So that, picking up the verse, he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. Hebrews is chock full of explanations of what it means that Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who made the sacrifice for us once for all time to bring us to God to pay for your sins and mine so that nothing would separate us from God. And most of us who have come to church and know anything of Hebrews, of the the book of Hebrews, knows that already, right? But have you thought about the fact that Jesus isn't just called a priest. He is called a high priest. Aaron was a high priest. But when God called for there to be priests, did he only call Aaron? No, he called Aaron and others. And Aaron was to be the high priest over others. And in the same way, Jesus is the high priest. And so are we. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-5 through five says, As you come to Him, a living stone, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You and I are called on to be priests. Now, this is not just a role for me, okay? And this is not just a role for anyone who becomes an elder of a church or as a pastor. This is not something for just an exclusive subgroup of Christianity. Every single one of you who has trusted in Jesus Christ, you have not just received a free ticket into heaven, you have received the very Spirit of God. Just as the oil was symbolically poured over the priest to communicate the Spirit, enabling them to carry out the work, you have received the Spirit of God and you have received an empowerment to be able to do the work that God wants you and you and you and you and you to do. Every single one of us is called to be a priest. Our, Our functions even somewhat correspond to the work, the idea of the tabernacle. Take a look at the Holy of Holies and what we are told concerning this. Hebrews, where we'll start from the inside, work our way out. Hebrews 10, 19-25 says, Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, Jesus is supposed to be up there on the slide, sorry. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts 
sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. The priests were not allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. There was a, a curtain separating them from the presence of God. Even though they were carrying out the duties, there was still a separation between them and the presence of God, but not for you and for me. We have direct access to God, which does not go away. And no matter what we face in life, no matter what may come our way, no matter what we go through, Nothing separates you from God and you can always go to Him with boldness, with assurance, knowing that your hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And when we do that, we can always hold fast to our confession because it is not based on our works. It's not based on our efforts. It is based on His blood alone that we can go straight to God in the Holy of Holies. How about the altar of incense? 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of Him in every way. That's not talking directly about the altar of incense in there, but the idea still remains that in the altar of incense, as soon as someone was to enter into a place, the tabernacle, where the work of God was to be done, they were to just be able to sense in the atmosphere, I have come into a different kind of place. And in the same way, we, wherever we go, are to spread the knowledge of God. So that people can just tell there's something different. The table of the presence communicates fellowship with God in His presence. And Jesus Himself said in Matthew 18.20 that where two or three are gathered together in My name, I am there among them. Not just in the church. Whenever two people come together, or any number more than that, Notice, by the way, it's not just one by himself. He says when two or more, the Spirit is still with you, but he starts doing something special when multiple people and any number start coming together to say, we will worship the Lord and we will honor him. The lampstand says in Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, that we are to live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. And in the same way, we are to take the light that God has placed within us and given to us through His Word, through His Scripture, and use that to know what is good, what is right, what is true. And not just hold that into ourselves, but share it. Shine the light for others to see. And then the altar. Romans 12.1, Paul tells us we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true worship. We do not make a sacrifice for sins like Jesus did. Only He can do that, and He only had to do it once. But their sin offering is not the only one out there. There's also the burnt offering of 
dedication. There is the presentation offering. And in the similar manner, we are called on to be those who sacrifice ourselves, who give of ourselves because Christ has given himself for us. Do you hear it? Do you see it? We are called to be priests for God. Just a couple takeaways for us. First, you are consecrated. You are sacred. You are holy. You might not feel like it. You might look at your life and say, my life is anything but holy. My actions feel like they are anything but holy. My lifestyle, my thoughts, my words, my hands, my feet, my relationships, they don't feel holy. They feel all too common. They don't feel like they're set apart. But God says, just as He said to Moses, that He Himself will consecrate not just the tabernacle, but the priest. He has consecrated you. And you are holy right now. You are set apart by God for a work that is so much bigger than you understand. And yes, there is a responsibility. There, are, there might be feelings of obligations, but I want you to focus as well on the joy of that. How wonderful, how beautiful it is that God can come into your life and mine and where we may not have felt holy at all, God says, oh, but you are. Just like he came to Gideon and said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. He's like, no, I'm not. God says, yes, you are. You just don't understand it yet. And because of him, secondly, not only are you consecrated, not only are you set apart, you can approach God with confidence and assurance. If your holiness if your confidence, if your assurance is ultimately based on your efforts, on your striving, on your strength, how is that going to show itself in your life? It's going to show itself with a complete lack of assurance. If my confidence is based on my own efforts and I say, well, I know that God is happy with me if... I've done enough good. Then what happens on the day when I say, well, on Sunday I did really great, but then on Monday my life just fell to pieces and oh, God must not love me. I must not be okay with God. Maybe I can't come to God until I get my act together. He says, no, do not think that way. He says, you are mine. I have paid for you. You are holy and you have no curtain separating you and me. Come to me now, God says. Whatever you're going through, whatever struggle, whatever thing, if you don't feel like you're good enough, if you don't feel like God cares for you, if you feel like there's a separation, God says a separation isn't because of me. It's because you might have turned away. But all you have to do is turn back and there I am. Come to me with confidence and assurance because of the blood of Jesus. And finally, 
Let's think about the implications of this. Wherever two or more gather together in Jesus' name, the temple of God, the tabernacle of God, comes with you. Think about that. You don't need to come to church to be in a holy place. You have the Spirit of God, and wherever two or more are gathered, Jesus is there with you right then. That's a beautiful thing. Because in Israel, if you wanted to come to God, you had to go to Him. All of Israel had to stay in one area in order to be able to worship God properly because they had to be able to go to the temple a certain number of times a year to make the necessary sacrifices and go to the celebrations. Israel had to stay centralized and spread the Word of God just through their reputation as a nation. But when God made the church, He made us to be different. He made us to be able to spread out so that we are not a light shining brightly in a building saying to everyone else, hey, don't you know Jesus loves you? He says, you take that light of Christ and wherever you go, to your job, to the, the, your friend's house, to the community center, anytime there's a two or more gathered in the name of Jesus, the temple of God is there and the people can look at you and through you they can have an opportunity to see Jesus. Now, that's true. If you really deeply think about how any of those are true, how is that going to change the way you think? How is that going to change the way you walk? How is that going to change the way you live and your conversations and your relationships? Not out of a sense of shame, not out of a sense of guilt, not out of a sense of fear, but because of the promise of God, because of the confidence and assurance that He calls on you and me to have. Let's go to God with that confidence and that assurance right now. Jesus, we might have thought of you being our priest before, of the sacrifice you made and how it brings us to you. But we might not have always thought of ourselves as being your priests serving under you. Jesus, many of us might not want to think of ourselves as priests. We might not understand just what it means and we might not really get what it means for our lives, but Jesus, You have consecrated each of us. Help us to know what that means. Help us to struggle with it, to grapple with it, to grab hold of your word and find out exactly what that means for our lives. And Jesus, help us to live lives that are able to come to you with full assurance and confidence straight to the Holy of Holies because of your blood, Jesus, so that we can better serve you as a holy priesthood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. Now,
all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.